life. We thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, today, we begin our first, uh, looking at our first community, our first, uh, <laughs> I can't get that thought out of my head, uh, church value, which is community matters. Um, and we, it reads like this, every person's infinitely valuable to God. Uh, we value people and what each person brings to the table. And this is from our uh, foundational document. Uh, on this value, and it says we welcome the curious, the disillusioned, and the skeptic. Uh, stop right there. 6-8 has historically been a place where people, I, I feel that people have found healing, that they've come, like, we have, we have a lot of PKs, pastor kids and MKs, missionary kids. We have people that have come from other churches and been hurt, and they've really found healing here, and I'm, I'm that, that, like, that strikes me about this church. It's just a wonderful thing. I'm sorry, getting all emotional. <laughs> um, but faith is an adventure to be lived. We're here to help each other on that journey. We intentionally seek to serve one another and the surrounding community in the practical love and message of Jesus. Our decisions together are based on faith, risk, and love. We are a prayerful community led by the Holy Spirit and scriptures. And I want to stop there again and say we've been growing in that like crazy. I mean, we wrote this stuff 10, 12 years ago, something like that, right? And, and these things are really coming together and becoming true. It's really kind of cool. Um, then it, it, it continues. We're externally focused, engaging the surrounding community, mainly through their established avenues of service. Think about our community groups and what we do with our community partners. Our commitment to community drives us to plant new families of faith as far as we can reach. We want to be a church planting church, you know, as, as soon as we can. Um, and in talking about our faith community, it's good for us to welcome one of our newest official members of our church, 6-8 community, our Vineyard Church, and that is Chris and Chelsea uh, and little Charlotte. Nick, is it Nicolay? Nicol, no, sounds whatever. Whatever he said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they uh, went through the Explore class a couple weeks ago and signed their life away on the dotted line and uh, gave me, uh, signed over their house to me and their bank account. You know, I'm just kidding. That would be cool because we're not a cult. Um, but welcome, you guys, and, and I'm really, really happy to have you. Now, in reference to our prayer cards, uh, freedom, that's, that's the first one. Uh, on, the, on the prayer card. There's seven different prayer things. So you'll have a different one for every day. So Monday, tomorrow, tomorrow you'll have uh, spiritual transformation. And there's a little description of how you can pray and what you can pray for. But uh, Freedom says this. It says, pray against spiritual attack on our church body and its members so that the kingdom ministry goes, goes unhindered. So I want to pray for that really quick. Uh, Father, we thank you for your protection and your power in this world. We thank you for the blood of Christ that covers us and seals us in your Holy Spirit. And uh, we thank you for that vision that we had a couple weeks ago that Steph had of just angelic beings standing at the door of our church, protecting us and guarding us as people come in here. And we pray against any spiritual and demonic powers that would seek to bring confusion or bitterness or disrupt relationships our disrupt teaching or understanding of your gospel in this church. We pray that we look at this property and we pray from corner to corner 
all around the perimeter of this property that, that you would just push back anything that would seek spiritual or physical or anything that would seek to uh, diminish understanding and bring confusion or bring bitterness or, or anything like that. We pray that fear would be pushed back, that faith would be raised up. And we pray that through that, Lord Jesus, that you would bring us unity in our church, unity in, in our relationships, and unity in our vision. And we thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you guys will uh, go ahead and pick up one of these cards on your way out if you haven't already. And go ahead and start praying for that. I know you'll do that. And I know you'll be praying for us every day. Of the week. So we're going to continually remind ourselves of this as we go forward. But if you remember in Lost, I don't know if you've watched that, but it was an old show or now, right? Uh, in the beginning episodes of Lost, uh, survivors organized, they gravitated to leadership positions, and, and they established roles of, uh, you know, for the group's survival to sustain life and health in a, in a devastating crisis, right? They all had this plane crash on a strange island. And uh, every person there at that moment was vital and, and important and formed an undocumented institution dedicated to survival and rescue with very clear roles and leadership and structure for the sake of people, for the sake of the group, right? And there were things that some people wanted to do, but they, they you know, they may have been good things, but they couldn't really do because they didn't really benefit the whole at the time. And they did really well for a time, if you watched the whole, got really confusing after a while, lost. I, didn't, I got lost. I got lost and lost. But, you know, they did do well, but later on, they, they, uh, the institutional power sort of became more important than the people, and uh, or the people for which it existed, and personal desires trumped, you know, community, trumped their unity, right? And they splintered into small factions, you know, for, due to the selfish you know, desires and nature of some people there. If you remember years ago, Enron, uh, an institution, a corporation, and, uh, you know, there's probably plenty of uh, illustrations of this, but, you know, Enron was good in its purpose to bring heat to homes and, and businesses, among other things. 20,000 people, I think, were employed by this thing. Um, and in the end, that institution was abused for the selfish end of, you know, certain individuals, right? And they like an institution which could have and did for quite a while do some good, uh, became destructive by the pride of a few people. And it fell, taken down, I think, Arthur Anderson accounting firm with it, one of the top seven in the country. Is, that, is Arthur Anderson even around anymore? I don't know. Anybody know? Who's the business guy? No, it's not. Okay, see, it, see, it, it devastated thousands of people. Took away jobs, all kinds of things, right? We know that the local church can and has, you know, in different instances, lost its purpose and has been misused in the hands of people for personal gain or pride. We've seen that in the world. But I want to say it isn't the institution's fault. The institution itself isn't, like, alive, in a, in, in a sense. It's the loss of the moral compass of a few that corrupt the institutional whole. It really is. In this series, 68 at 6-8, we come to this first value today, community matters, which is really talking about the local church, about us as a body of believers in a local community. And we're setting ourselves against the backdrop of Micah 6.8, right? Micah 6.8, our signature verse, which is pretty much the name of this church, where the Israelites were 
thinking only in individualistic terms, not as a communal whole. They weren't. Uh, they didn't have unity anymore. They had become corrupt due, due to some individual desires. And the system that God put in place wasn't necessarily at fault. It was the people, right? And as a result, God calls them at that moment to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, right? And we've looked at this for a few weeks. And those are communal institutional initiatives to them, right? Back to the goodness of the institutional structure to which God had called them. God calls them to think, you know, beyond the individual and to the whole, to the unity of the group and to what its purpose is. A community under one head, Jesus, right? Walking humbly, doing justice, loving mercy, as the character of God is reflected through them to other nations, to other peoples. And to live as a community reflecting him as a godly institution, a church as we know it today. I want to read you a story of another church. It says, the church was old. Young urban professionals came only to buy property, not to worship. The pastor declared a full-scale capital fund drive, and older church members opened their wallets and dug deep for the new plans calling for a modern building, a wellness center, a coffee bar, and a park. Campaign slogan, build it and they will come. It's like a takeoff in a movie. Um, sorry. Um, the wrecking ball swung. The staff poked around the rubble, reminiscing. Nothing remained but the original foundation. A pastor picked up a brick, scrawled across it were ancient Hebrew letters. Another stone had, a, had Greek lettering. Each foundation stone bore the name of a prophet or an apostle. Then they found the cornerstone, which read Jesus. And the leaders sat on cinder blocks, discussing the passion which had drawn them into ministry from the very first. Construction engineers wandered by and joined in. And there were tears and testimonies. And they passed a Diet Coke and a moon pie as, uh, as the pastor recited the words of the communion service. And there among the debris rose a new temple, an invisible one, that seemed to reach towards heaven or maybe the other way around. For this is only the beginning of a story first told in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, which says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's, oh, sorry, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The Ephesians, to which this is written to, the, the people that this, this was, letter was written to, right? Once foreign to God and foreign to each other, probably, right? We're called into God's family together as a, a body of believers. A family with a long history and a tradition of being built up and formed by teaching and the, and the direction of the apostles, of the prophets, of, of the Hebrew scriptures in the past all held together by Jesus, the chief cornerstone of the church at that moment. And the, the, the chief cornerstone of the cornerstone is the first stone laid down uh, for a building and the one by which all the other stones are measured off of, right? And it determines the final strength and the final footprint of a building. And cultures throughout history have, 
have made many different sacrifices buried under their cornerstones. In Indonesia, they did this quite a bit. We, 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 we witnessed these things. But they, they, they made sacrifices to ensure the strength of their building. Some of those were blood sacrifices, even human. And the, so this image for us is the image of Christ through sacrifice, through his sacrifice, becomes the stone in which the whole church is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. A foundation built on the blood of Christ. A temple which speaks of community and you know, rather than individuals, a temple by which God dwells in his spirit, right? By his spirit. So the individual Christian is sealed with God's Holy Spirit. We are part of the temple. We are part of a local church, a communal whole. God's witness is shown through the whole much more than just through the individual. We are a light in this community. And right now, in times like these, with what happened yesterday, that is the most important thing in the world. It really is. And we need desperately to take our, to, to shift our focus off of the I, or the me, onto the we, and off the I and onto the us, right? And, and to realize that God fully resides in the local church. We as a, we as a, a, as a whole are God's portable temple, you know, with clearly defined leadership and structure and direction. So this morning isn't church, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. This isn't church. This is a worship service of the local church. A worship service of the local church named 6-8 Vineyard Church in this community. The local body of Christ, a defined local institution of God, local Christ followers organized for the purpose of God's kingdom, of seeing that expanded. Of seeing God's peaceful kingdom brought to this community and to the world beyond. Now there's an anti-institutional sentiment out there these days. I met someone recently from another church who sought my counsel because they were going through a very hard time in their, their own church. And they said, you know, I, I'm fed up with church. I'm fed up with organized religion. Right? I'm, I was like, you know, I realize what you're coming from. Right? But that's really not where you need to go. I didn't necessarily say it that way, but some say we need to get back to the purity of the gospel before the institutional church was formed. But here's the problem. The early church was an institution. It really was, right? Local, they, they were local institutions with clear leadership, clear structure, clear vision. Any, institu any sustainable or survivable movement must institutionalize. It must organize. Inst institutions are vital to us as relational beings, as relational creatures. Institutions are good and they are God-ordained. God designed society to function in community, in, in, in like to gather together and to be organized and go in the same direction together. When we or God want to get something done, we form an institution. Countries have institutions of law. Banks are institutions you know, that protect our money. Schools are institutions which teach our children. Adam and Eve were placed in the institution of marriage, and we are all born into the institution of family. Institutions that run well give emotional support. My dad's birthday is today. 
84 years old, I think, right? Sorry. My dad built a great family, a great family institution. He loved his family well. He's built a legacy that is solid, right? They give us direction for the future. They, they, they build us. Without them, things devote or, or, or devolve merely to the, you know, the present moment. There's no roots. There's no past. There's no thought of passing anything along to future generations. I pass something along to my children because of my father. Anti-institutionalism is destructive, socially, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. They are established to pass on values and customs and practices and faith. If anarchy was even possible, which it is not, it would be totally damaging. Totally damaging. Like loss, like Enron, it's not the institution which fails. It's the people within it losing sight of the institutional purpose. We corrupt the local church when we misuse it for our own selfish gain rather than for that which it was created or established to be. Jesus is the head of this church, not Jason, right? Some might say that the early church wasn't institutionalized, but if you look at Acts, when Paul arrives in Rome, there is a clear institution already established. Local churches had leadership, they had organization, they had sacraments. They were operating. Jesus built that. Jesus set that ball in motion, and he knew where it was going to lead. He's not shaking his head up there someplace in the clouds saying, oh, you guys screwed it up. I meant for you to be all a bunch of organized hippies. He's not saying that. <laughs> he began this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing will ever destroy the church. Institutional statement. Building a church means building a good institution. Some of us may not have a problem with the church as an institution, but we might say, I belong to the universal church and not a local church. Not seeing the validity of sort of rooting themselves into a particular local church body, submitting to its direction, since they are some sort of, in some sort of way mystically connected to the greater body of Christ in the whole world. Well, it's kind of true, they are. But we are called to, in a historical line of people and tradition, to be members of not only the universal church out there across the world, but first and foremost to the local church. Where we live, where we are, where we do business, where we live, where we have our neighbors. And what that person is really saying is, I don't want the local church's authority over me. I don't want their direction in my life. The New Testament's primary focus is on the local church. And the full expression of community is seen in each local body of Christ. The local church isn't an incomplete part of the whole. We don't have part of Jesus until we're mystically connected with the, the greater body of Christ in the world, you know, the universal church out there when he comes back. The local church has the whole of Jesus embodied within it right now, right here. It's why Jesus says, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am among them. Jesus is here right now among us. He's embodied here. That's pretty profound. 
The local church is the expression of a future reality in a particular physical space and time. It is supposed to reflect the kingdom to a world that is in a lot of pain and fear. At this moment, the local church is the only way we experience the future kingdom of God and that hope right now. It is the only way. The local church is an institution with clearly defined direction, vision, and mode of operation. And you've heard people say that the local church is the hope of the world, and I truly believe that is so. You are God's plan A in this community. And you're pretty good people to do that. You've got a lot of skills. You've got a lot of passion. You've got a lot of love. And you've got a lot of knowledge in your head. Just jump in and start swimming. Right? Jump in and start swimming. Calvin said, he who does not have the church for his mother cannot have God for his father. Calvin saw the necessity for the local church in Christian life, and you can see that in his writings. So the local church for the Christian isn't something that we shop around for and, you know, come and pick and choose what we want and then go home disconnected from everybody in our local church. That's not how we do it. Or splitting ourselves between church bodies, you know, not submitting ourselves fully to one and just kind of going back and forth. Likewise, the local church isn't something that we just attend on Sundays and go do ministry by ourselves, off on the side, disconnected from the local body, because we are sort of spiritually connected to the, the, the greater universal church out there in the world. Some people say we should celebrate what God is doing in individual lives. Sounds good. And sometimes that's true. We should. Sometimes something, God just does a movement and in somebody's life, and we should be celebrating that. However, what that often means is that Jane Smith, if your name is really Jane Smith, I apologize, I don't mean you, but Jane Smith is over there doing something that she calls ministry, right? She, she calls ministry, but it's disconnected from the, the vision and the direction of the local church. It may look good from the outside, but when you explore it, there are usually some problems, usually, not always. It's unsustainable, and it's incomplete since it's the work of one person. And even though it may be valid in some time and place, it's something which might derail the communal vision and ministry of the local body. Sometimes it's not really a work of God. It's, it's a work of pride. And it started because they feel the church isn't doing it right, but they can. A work of pride never lasts. It always falls. Sometimes it's only a mask of sin. We had a man at my former church who masked his pedophilia with a ministry to students. And it was totally unsanctioned by the church. Church leadership fought against it, very maturely approached parents, told them not to send their kids on things with this person, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was never connected to, to leadership in any way, shape, or form in all these ways. And in the end, the church's name was drugged through the mud when it came out in the news Although they had done all they could to address it over the years, but naive parents allowing their kids to be involved, despite leadership's warnings, suffered. And so did the church's name. It was a shame. Sometimes the work is, you see how important leadership and church unity is in these situations? Sometimes a work uh, is good that somebody's involved in, and God starts a ministry through somebody, and, and it should be folded in. And that person needs to be willing to fold it under the church's lead, allowing the body to engage with it, right? But yet, 
if it's a prideful work, they'll hold on to it like they're a baby, and it won't, and they won't allow the church to direct. And in the end, that person leaves the church, and they begin to church hop, since church leadership and other churches might entertain them for a little while, but pride is always, it always comes out, and it's always confronted. Because pride is so devastating to unity in church life. So the local church is something to which we devote ourselves. It's something that we plug ourselves into. It's a local institution with direction and purpose which we engage with, we engage in. We join the church. The church, church doesn't join us, right? It's essential to our spiritual walk in Christ. It's something that we die for because Jesus loved it enough to die for it. Jesus loves the local church. That hateful speech that we often have about the church is something that probably Jesus wouldn't say. The local church is the avenue of glorifying Christ and in which we come into the fullness of life with him together. Church hopping just isn't spiritual maturity. It's just not spiritual maturity. Paul mentions being quote-unquote, in Christ 164 times in his epistles. And it's a term that is largely in reference or connected to being in a local church body. In other words, he's saying to be in Christ is synonymous with being in a local body of Christ. Our physical presence in these gatherings of church is important. Hebrews 10.25 urges us to continue to meet together. When one gets in the habit of showing up only when it's convenient for them, it's, it is detrimental to the whole. Because you are that important. You are that important. It's not about the individual, though. It is about the whole. It is about the body. The body needs all of its members, present and active. We need to be here. Not because these sermons are so great. Not because the worship is so great, although both are tremendous. <laughs> right? Yeah, amen. Thank you. <laughs> we need to be here because um, we need to experience, we need to hear and experience where we're going together as a body. To understand our role in this community. From tithing to engagement in church initiatives, it is vital to us moving forward as a local body of Christ in this area, in this geographical area. And that can't happen with inactive body parts, right? Or split affinity. A, head, a, you know, a hand can't be a part of two bodies. And that's the illustration that Paul uses of the body of Christ. See, we perpetuate a dichotomy between spiritual and physical worlds like they're not connected. When they are, right? If, when we think we can have a spirituality without a link to our bodies in geographical sort of proximity with other people and, and a commitment to other people right around us. It's important. These people right around you are very important. Faith is linked not only to some mystical union out there with Jesus in the universal church, but also to the physical reality of our bodies and other bodies right around us in geographical community. This is where you get to challenge me. This is where you get to pray for me. This is why I can't do this on my own. I had that aha moment this past week talking to Rachel about the prayer ministry. And sorry, I'm going off a little bit. Um, <laughs> but just I had that aha moment. There are some things that my prayer life can't address in my life. 
I need your vision. I need to see you. I was talking to Mary, and I just see something about prayer and Mary, and I think, gosh, she's got a gift there that it, it, it can be developed and fostered, and you know, she needs me to say that to her, right? See, faith has grown, and it has worked out, and it has developed in relationship with other people right around us. In no other way does it happen. It can't happen through the internet. It just can't. It can't. If you think you can sit home and watch Francis Chan, wonderful man, great preacher. I'm not <laughs> talking bad about Francis Chan, obviously. But if you think you can just sit home and watch Francis Chan and be fed, no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't happen like that. We have to be here, right? We have to be here to know others and be known by them. And that means to know and be known by Jesus. Because Jesus speaks through my brothers and sisters. When they know me. When they know my propensity to do certain things. And they, hey, Jason, come on back, right? Only when we show up, when we engage, and we allow others to know us and encourage us and challenge us, and, and we participate in the communal vision of the local body, are we actually being the church. Uh, Dave Massey gave me, uh, or Bill Massey, confusing Dave and Bill. Bill gave me, um, by the way, Bill printed these wonderful new cups. They aren't that's about that's an orange on our thing, but it's all kind of Halloween-y, right? <laughs> um, lovely dream. But he gave me a, these little books. He said, you know, when they went through Explore, he's like, ah, oh, we got these little books to be members. And now I've just started handing those out at Explore classes. It's just a way to show us how to be church together, right? I don't know where I am now. But, <laughs> but you know, coming here and being church is to be in Christ. Humbly showing up, willing for local church leadership to direct us, because local church leaderships are the ones that are charged with protecting, charged with serving, charged with setting the communal direction of the local body. By the way, just to let you know, your parents know, when, when I left that other church, that, that guy followed us to 6-8, and I met them, and I'm just going to be very clear about this. I met with them, the couple, and I said, you are not to be alone in a room with a child. You are not to engage with children in our church at all. And they said, well, all those, those were all rumors. I'm like, I don't care if they're rumors. They were bad judgment, at the very least. And he hadn't been caught yet. And I said, you are just not, and I, I'm pretty proud of that decision because they never, ever were around kids in our church. And, and I made sure leadership knew, and everybody had eyes. And that wasn't gossip. That was protection. They left the church. Next thing you know, boom, he's in jail for 16 years. It all came out. We are set. There are reasons we make decisions sometimes that you do not need to know. <laughs> you know, we don't need to know everything. We don't need to say everything out front sometimes. There are reasons we, we go certain ways. Anyway, that's a side note. The local church is always four things, which we see in society. I think it is one. It is one. It's a local church isn't disconnected from that universal church. Of, 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 like we are connected with what we're doing in Syria. We're connected with what we're doing in Lebanon. We've been connected with churches around the world. Uh, we do have this connection. We are one with the local or the universal church. We're uh, in this present moment. And what we do 
And what we teach here affects them and them us. When some other church goes off the rails theologically and starts to teach a whole bunch of wacky garbage, it affects us. It affects us. I would much rather them not call themselves a church anymore. That would be a lot more helpful. But we stand with the universal church that has historically followed Jesus. Number two, it is holy. It's a community birthed and set apart by the Spirit of God, right? The presence of God must be in a church. It must be a community of the Spirit of God. And I pray for that. I pray every morning you see me on Sunday mornings when I'm up here in that first worship set. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that the Spirit fills this room, fills your hearts, fills your heads, fills my head, anoints my words, anoints my tongue, anoints my lips, that everything that pours out of my mouth would be Spirit-filled. That's what I've been praying. And that's what we want here. Number three, it is Catholic and universal. It is not Roman Catholic, that's not what I'm saying, and it is not universalists. We are not universalists. I want to make that clear. Those words are a little confusing to some people, but what I am saying is that we are tied to the past, we are tied to tradition, and the creeds, and the prophets, and the apostles, and all that kind of good stuff. You know, we don't make up our faith. We are not stumbling through this, oh, well, that sounds good, I'll say that. No. We know where we're coming from, right? We listen to the teaching and the voices which have formed us over, over centuries, right? We stand in unity with the history of the church on the non-negotiable issues that all Christians have agreed upon throughout the centuries. And this is why we as members sign a statement of faith. If you want to look it up, Legionnaire Ministries does, every two years they do a a research on the beliefs of evangelicals across the country. Um, I, I know that word is kind of taken on some negative connotation, but they, 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 you know, in the basics of the faith, what people believe. The interesting thing is that a lot of like those basics have gone awry. But what I, I, I love when I'm right. I just don't you love when you're right. I predicted that millennials will start coming back to faith, coming back to the solidity of faith because it is failing them. The worldview where anything is allowed fails us. It fails us. And it is starting to happen that millennials are starting to root themselves back into a solid faith. And I, I God bless that. that. That is great. Number four, it is apostolic. And that means to be sent out, right? God's missional. He sends his local church out into the community. And it, it's being true to the past, it's being relevant to the moment, and it's being a revelation for the future for people. Mission exists because worship doesn't among all people groups, right? And we don't focus on a building here. And this is a beautiful room, but this is not church. You are the church. That's what we focus on. We, you know, um, we focus on mission. That's what we focus on. Mission to the church is like hydrogen to water. The church is sent out as a local body, not just as individuals, but together in unity to reach its community, right? And we understand this in theory. We do. I know you guys are intelligent people. You all get it, right? You read Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, and you understand we are living stones built up in Jesus with him as our cornerstone to be the holy temple of God. You know all that, right? But still, it must be retaught. It must be retaught because our language and our attitudes tend to revert to, I'm going to church. So church becomes this place on Sunday, and that's it, right? 
where we can occasionally show up and we can, you know, uh, be disconnected, we can disconnect ourselves from, from true community. What we should be saying is, I'm going to worship with my church this Sunday. I am the church. What church do you go to? You're looking at it, right? <laughs> You're looking at it right there. <laughs> Change your language. Screw somebody's head up. You know, like they, like, gosh, people like in this community, some of them have never been to church. Where do you go to church? You're looking at it. This is where I am. I look at the church right now. I'm, I'm at least part of it. I'm one stone, right? We are building block in the local church, a community measured off of Christ, committed to building kingdom together. That's what we are. The first genera generation of Christians met in the temple courts, right out in the middle of community, right? And they, they also met in homes, you know, sometimes and had meals together and teaching together and all that kind of stuff. No, not really any church building. Not that to have a church building is bad, I'm not saying that. But they had leadership and they had direction and they lived this stuff really well. And it says this about them. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayer. They ate together. They listened to, to the apostles' teaching and all that kind of stuff. And they, they followed leadership. They practiced what they were taught in the middle of the surrounding community. They ministered to each other in mind, heart, body, and spirit. And they devoted themselves to one another with communal vision. And the end result of all of that was that they were... Verse 47, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't that be nice? Daily those who were being saved. Paul, like us, identifies the local church as the body of Christ with our spiritual gifts, defining his hands and feet and voice in the local community. Church community works as a body, not individuals who come when they want, hear what they want, and go do what they want, right? We are, we're in this together, right? Community matters very much at 6-8. It matters tremendously. We value the local church as the body of Christ, being the hands and the feet and the voice, using our gifting and love to bear witness to, 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 to this local physical reality within which we find ourselves, the Eastern Mainland and beyond, right? Many people moved to the area when we planted 6-8. There was about 30, 35 people or something like that on our plant team, and a lot of them moved from like Wayne and farther out into Ardmore, you know, where we were first really putting ourselves. And um, they wanted to make this their geographical home physically close to each other and physically close to the surrounding community because that was important. It was how we affect each other. United under one head, right? Reaching out through local community initiatives. That's our temple courts. You know, our community partners and what we do through our community groups is our temple courts. We're all out there driving the same vision. And as a part of this body, we're one with the universal church. We are. We strive to be holy and filled with the Spirit of God, rooted in Christian tradition, and, and we, we want to be apostolic. We want to go out to the local community to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. So remember this. What you win them with is what you win them to. What you win them with is what you win them to. Right? So do we invite people into a corrupt institution marked with infighting and personal gain and pride? A, a place that's just putting on a show 
you know, a, like a, a religious show. You know, individuals doing incomplete work, but coming together and just kind of doing something on Sunday morning. Or do we win them to the local living body of Jesus, right? A faith and spirit-filled body operating out of grace and love and forgiveness and power, power of the spirit, driving in unity towards one vision, realizing that if we try to focus on everything out there, we fail miserably. But if we focus on a few things really well, we'll see our kingdom community expand. And we'll see people coming to know the Lord daily. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you love the local church more than we could ever do so. That you love the individuals involved with it. You love them together in unity as a body. And you love just the people out there in the community that we haven't reached yet. So we pray for open doors, that our community would be a community that is not marked with fear, but is marked with faith and unity and passion and power and love. And that we uh, are people of truth, bringing that out to the surrounding community around us. We pray that you would disrupt lives with your truth. That out there in our neighborhoods, in the streets, in the sidewalks, in the storefronts, and everything else, that you would start to speak to hearts and disrupt their lives with the truth of the gospel. Let their structure, their, their internal worldview fail them, not to hurt them, but to actually show them life and freedom and the love of Christ in their life. Let them come to you, Father, and let us be a part of that honor of bringing them into this 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 family of faith, this local body of Christ, where you are embodied in full. Um, guys, this morning, Sarah, this is Dara.